This is a Hot Pie Media Original. Hi, I'm Deb, and this is my podcast. You're listening to the Deb O'Keefe Podcast. The podcast where Deb O'Keefe doesn't know anything. You know, over the uh, Christmas holidays, actually, when was it? News Day? Yeah, News Day. Um, I have a party every year at my house. And so Specs is a place where I stop off. Specs, of course, finer foods, spirits, wines, beer, liquor. What? Liquor is spirits, right? Yeah. Uh, liqueurs. I'm going to say that word or fancy liqueurs because that's what I actually got from Specs. I was looking to have a Spanish themed News Day party with Tortilla Española and some other stuff, which we did and it was great. But I wanted to find this one uh, uh, liqueur. It's called Cuarenta Tres and it's from Spain. And it's like a, a vanilla liqueur, which sounds disgusting. It sounds disgusting to me because I don't really like vanilla, but... When I lived in Spain, it was always in these drinks. And uh, for years, you couldn't get it here. But you can get it at Specs because Specs has it all. You want to throw a fancy party. Uh, you want to have people over to watch the game. Whatever it might be, Specs can come up with ideas for you as well. If you want to have a theme, they can give you special cocktails. They have it all, the food and everything as well. Go to specsonline.com to find the nearest location to you. Sign up to be a Key Club member because, well, why wouldn't you? Do it right now. Go to specsonline.com. Yeah, what do I know? I don't know absolutely anything. I don't know anything, but today's guest is hopefully going to teach me something, show me something, learn me something good. Um, But I was just, uh, before before I introduced my guest, I was, before he got here actually, I was recording some audio for something, for uh, the voiceover for something. And uh, I did, I did, this voice, which is me. And then I did my radio voice and, uh, it's well, like not my radio. It's not my, no, this is my radio voice. It was my professional intro voice. And I was thinking, oh my God, what if I spoke like that all the time? So I might try it out on my guest today. Um, we'll see what happens. All right. And we're back. And, uh, now I get to try out my fancy commercial voice for today's guest. Uh, today's guest as I've been seen running around the building because he's a fellow hot pie media podcast host. Um, but that doesn't mean I want you on my show just because you have a podcast. Uh, no offense, but you're all out there. All you straight white guys with beards with podcasts. You're the new read my blog. But some of you out there are really fucking <laughs> awesome. Uh, my guest today included, of course, and a previous guest, Tyler Coe. He has a podcast and a beard and does CrossFit, but he's awesome still. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I thought, I'd get this guy on my show. He's interesting AF. And we got to hang out recently personally. And I was like, all right, it's on. So uh, I'll just, I'll just go right into it. Justin Wren, host of Overcome with Justin Wren is today's guest. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you. Hi, and Hi. welcome to my show. There we go. That's the commercial voice you yeah, like. Yeah, I like it. It's got to be that way the whole show. Okay. <laughs> I can't, you can't be funny with that voice. Once you put on your, it's like yeah, news it's radio. That you, the news, okay, so if I was news, I would say, good afternoon and welcome to the news at three o'clock. And then I go home, right? And I'm like, 
Yes, I really would like it a little bit harder. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was awesome. Let's do it again soon. Yes, <laughs> like, that's perfect. Do people talk like that full time? Uh, I hope not. Oh God, me I'm too. just kidding. But yeah, that was a very good radio voice. Why? Thanks. Or spot voice. Whatever yes, you call my it. commercial voice. Yes, it's like it's good. Mind the gap. Yeah, with the accent especially. Mm, thank you. We I don't be, get that enough here in Austin, Texas. It'd be cool to be the mind the gap person. You know, I've been to mm. England. Mm -mm. Been to London. I have. I, I I actually did a TED talk at a uh, Warwick University. Get so get out of the door. Get yeah. it. really Warwick. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, TED talk. I, I really loved it. It was. Uh, Hang on a second. No, it was. It was Dad, a TED talk. Yeah. Well, it was a well one of those TEDx talks, but they yeah. were one of the first ones to ever do a TEDx, and so they had something called Uncharted Territories. It was a whole conference on that, and. I was one of the keynote guys there and it was, it was wow. awesome. It was a uh, quite an experience. Congratulations yeah. on that. I, I, I really geek out on Ted and TEDx. It's uh, I mean, if you, if you don't enjoy that, are you human? Yeah, if you don't I, enjoy I a TEDx. I listened to a Brene Brown one today. She is the queen. Yeah. She should be taught in school. She should. She, Absolutely. it should be compulsory <laughs> curriculum. I, you know, I learned the other day, a friend of mine was asking me something about this, some Texas thing. And I was like, how do you, know so much about this bullshit she goes this is what we were taught in school I'm like it just Texas history she says yeah I didn't learn any other history until I think high school later yeah. years in high school so I'm like that's not good Texas I mean you're cool <laughs> I live here I love you but you got to teach some other things knock off some of that stupid old Texas history and let's teach the kids about Brene Brown and let's teach young men and women how to coexist in the world and not grow up to be assholes they should basic I mean always teach that i mean it should be an absolute why it's don't not they taught in why school. don't they teach that it isn't you know what we're taught in you get you get lessons like oh he's picking on you because he likes you no that guy's gonna go up go up to be a raper mm. let's let's teach positive interactions between young men yeah. and women being vulnerable sharing communicating yes uh, i love something i mean you're over on that side of the pond but in finland they their school, their education system is incredible. Mm. I mean, they have actual like full course meals uh, for lunch and it'll be like, here's your appetizer. Here's your main course. Here's wow. dessert. But they're teaching them about uh, the food groups while they're preparing yeah. these meals. I saw a documentary where they showed the Finnish uh, teachers and the like chefs at the schools, chefs at the school, not just the lunch lady, but the chef. Uh, what they were serving American kids. And oh, uh, at first they thought it was a joke. And then whenever they actually saw the squared pieces of pizza or the chicken nuggets or whatever, the spaghetti, um, they actually cried. Some of them crying, saying, you can't wow. feed that to children. How are their brains wow. going to operate? How are they going to learn? That's so huge. Yeah. And they were like, they need, they need green, dark, leafy yes. vegetables and they need fresh fruits and, and meats, leans. On top of that, the lessons that come with showing how feeding an abundance of, of, of different foods is important, right? Not only that to eat. But for kids to grow up and learn how to cook that right. stuff, because that's a huge problem too. Mm -hmm. And not just in America, in the, in, in the UK too, but the fast food culture has made it cheap and easy for people to just drive through and pick something up when essentially you, for the price of that, and I've been saying this for years and years, you go to the store and buy the basic ingredients and right. make it yourself. It's always cheaper. And I, I calculated a meal I made the other day at home and I'm really poor right now. So I'm definitely looking at pennies. A couple of years ago, I'm doing all right now. Not so much, but I'm, I'm, I'm just aware of it. But I think my meal might have cost me 
$3. And I had a beautiful piece of fish. I had uh, some greens. It was probably kale, something that I'd sauteed, uh, briefly sauteed and spricks and some toasted sesame oil and sesame seeds on there. And then, of course, half an avocado, some roasted Japanese sweet potatoes, a few slices of that, and I think some um, fermented cabbage. Or I always had like some type of fermentation with the, with the food from a gut health. And I just, you know, extrapolated that out of what I bought. And it was probably $3.50 maybe. And it was filling. It was clean. It was quick. I, I think I had a bath while the fish was cooking and yeah. then just came out and threw, and put the sweet potatoes in there and came out and finished it. And um, I know that's with food deserts uh, and, and other barriers, travel and, uh, you know, connectivity, it can be difficult, but it can be done. And I think if more kids were taught that in school, we'd yeah. see less obesity. We'd see more happiness. For sure. Brain health. Yeah. Brain health, for sure. Mm. You got to know how to, uh, nutrition supplements. I mean, yeah, I'm going to look up Finland food. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least their school system too. It's not required uh, for you to graduate high school, but they have like the highest graduation rate. And the rest go into like vocational training. Oh, but and, all about that as well. Instead yeah. of pushing everybody to go to a four-year yeah. university. Well, it, the there documentary are smart I was watching. Who can do trades? Yeah, I wish I, I wish I knew uh, what it was called again. But they were showing that basically the American school system was created in the Industrial Revolution, and that it was basically to create people with the alarms, the big bells going off was for the factory workers mm-hmm. and that we're still teaching kids like they're going to become factory workers from nine to five mm-hmm. or longer. And uh, yeah, you just get used to sitting in one place, stationary, going from class to class and it's eating also, bad food yeah, and short breaks. Right. And, and no, no, uh, no playtime, yeah. no PE, yeah. no uh, other stimulation. Uh, again, sunlight sitting in a room yeah. with overhead. I mean, yeah, it's all yeah. wrong. And the out, the amount of time that kids are at school and I don't have kids, but most of my friends do. And hearing that some kids have to be at school at 7.30 a.m. or even, mm. even eight really. Some kids have to get up at six for that. That kids need more sleep. Right. They just need to sleep longer. Yeah, they're forming. They're growing. Yeah, the brains. Yeah, they're processing the information they learned the day before. We wonder why we have criminals and people who have mental health difficulties or mental health difficulties that turn into criminal because they're not being taken care of. We could go into that too. I mean, mm. shit, we could go on. To, how long you got? Yeah, I got, I got plenty of time. Three, four hours. I'm, I'm excited. Cut it up into yeah. eight episodes. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Colton would be like, uh, no, bitches, get out here. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't even give you a proper introduction, Justin. Okay. So let's go back. Justin yeah. Wren is not just the host of Overcome with Justin Wren, which is a fantastic podcast. Uh, I'm a consumer as, as well as a Thank co-worker. You. But um, you have an amazing story. You're, you're, I mean, to put you in a small nutshell – um, you're an MMA fighter, yes. professional, and um, you have a couple of charities that you've set up. But if I just introduced you like that, I'm missing all of the connective amazingness that makes you up. So if uh, to, to make you introduce yourself, mm. how would you, what would be the main pointers you would give somebody? Uh, I was a guy that was focused on fighting against people, um, but I learned it was much better to fight for people. And so all right, I that's it. Put, End the show. He said, it <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I, I honestly have come to a place of just wanting to put love and compassion in action. 
Um, part of Fight for the Forgotten, the nonprofit I founded, uh, is we defend the weak, love the unloved, and empower the voiceless. We just had a conversation and, about that off air. Yeah, we did. I didn't realize that was what we did. your foundation is. Yeah. And I believe as... as Sorry to interrupt. I'm going to get back to your description of yourself in a second. No, but I believe okay. as able-bodied humans and able-minded humans, even if you're a little bit off, I have depression and anxiety issues. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. But Me as well. Um, but if we're in a space where we can help the people who don't have a voice or who need help. That's our, that's our job. That's, that's why I was put on this planet Mm -hmm. to help animals that need help to help. If I see a child or an elderly person, a disabled person, a person without a voice, a marginalized person, um, somebody in a community who is harassed, um, again, marginalized LBGTQ plus whatever I'm, I'm in a position of privilege because I'm alive and well and walking on my two legs and have a job and I'm fucking white. Um, and I'm a female. I have a funny voice that gets me places too. This is a privilege that is more of a privilege here, but it's my job. It's my moral obligation to use that to help others is, is what I believe. And your foundation sounds like that's exactly it. So where do I sign up? Yeah, well, it's fightfortheforgotten.org. <laughs> All right. And so it's uh, in our fight club. There is people can join that for $5 a month or more. And what's uh, that? Fight club. Fight club is, Literally, is like the fight support. Club? Well, it's not the, the first rule of our fight club is that you do speak about fight club, not that you don't like the movie. I just got goosebumps. Uh, but it's, That's it's, huge. it's, we're trying to build an army of supporters um, that can donate, you know, a cup of coffee uh, price, $5 a month or more. And so what does and that then, do? Uh, well, it helps us drill wells in Africa, buy land, build homes. We're about to uh, actually build an actual hospital. And wow. there's a story behind that, obviously. But also here stateside, we do bullying and suicide prevention. So our bullying prevention is basically a, a program, a curriculum that's been in over 100 schools and 100 martial arts academies. Mm. And it's uh, called Heroes in Waiting. And basically that is trying to train young people to know that they can make the world better. Oh my that gosh. You don't need a super power, superhuman strength, a cape. Yeah. Um, a Speak hero. Up for others. Yeah. A hero is just simply someone that sees a need and takes action. Yes. So they're, they're here to make the world better. I, you know, um, again, going back to that moral obligation thing. And I think in the last several years, America has come, come around a little bit more to see something, say something. Um, but I've been criticized in the past for like being a busybody getting involved. Why are you always getting involved? Well, I see some shit that no one else is doing. People are walking by. I'll give you an example. Two-year-old girl left in a swing, a baby swing, you know, with the supporting thing around it right. in my local park. I used to live on the east side on East 12th. And I was walking my dog, Blue Boy, right here behind me, RAP, um, late at night, nine, 10 o'clock at night. So it was dark. Found a little girl on a swing set in the park on her own. I I can't leave that kid there. Yeah. She's crying. She's she'd been put in the swing facing these woods, like away from the rest of the park and where the cars were parked. So I'm like, this is this is not right. Not even I didn't even stop to think. I just walked up to her and introduced myself and tried to get her to stop crying, introduced her to Blue, picked her up, walked her around and found the mother who's uh was high in a car and who's wow dad walked out of the woods and told me off for getting involved in in the woods is where they do the drugs uh, where I used right. to live. So, um, I called three one one. I left the scene shaking with anger that they had put their kid in the swing facing away while they shot up. Right. Um, 
I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to fight him or anything. I did want to fight him and stick my dog on them, although he would have just licked them to death. Uh, I was furious and scared and angry. And um, so I called 311. I just said, I don't know what to do. I'm just telling you this because it's messed up. And she said, please hold on, putting you through to 911. And uh, because I lived on the east side and this was a few years ago, there was a cop car there within like two, a minute. And uh, once I saw them there, I just left. I'm like, I don't, now I don't want to get involved. I don't want them to know where I live. Uh, you know, I actually lived on the first house next to the park so they could have seen me go home. But um, I felt, when I told that story to some people, a lot, most people are like, that was fucking great. A lot of people were like, why on earth did you call 311 about that? Why are you being a busybody? You could have got hurt. Something could have happened. Well, if I'd have been a creepy dude in a panel van driving by the park and seeing that little girl, I could have snatched her up and had her gone because they didn't see me pick her up. They didn't see me talk to her five minutes before I picked her up out of the, out of the swing and put her shoes back on and um, wiped her tears with my T-shirt. That, in that time, someone could have come and snatched her up. For sure. Did so that's, right that's why I did something. Yeah. And I love that you're teaching that to kids. And I mm. don't know where I got mine from, but it's a, it's like, I get angry thinking about that situation. Like I'm all hot and sweaty now. I get really angry yeah. thinking about that because it could have gone so wrong. Yeah. could have gone so wrong. And so you're in schools teaching people who maybe just don't think that naturally to say, Hey, if you, if you can, you can help yeah. the smallest things. The smallest things is something as simple as saying, Hey, that's not kind. Yeah. Whenever there's a bullying situation, I grew up getting very heavily bullied um, mm. from third to eighth grade. No one stepped in. Uh, I'm trying to remember a time where someone stepped in, but no. And Ugh. there is numerous times or most times I sat at the lunch table by myself, getting pelted in the back of the head with chocolate milk spit wads or so food. Every, or everyone fist. saw that. Yeah. No, like no. Well, it's hard for someone to want to intervene because then they can, can become the oh, target. Right, but right, whenever right. the, whenever statistics show, if you say, Hey, that's not kind to someone in a bullying situation, you it shuts it down like over that language. Yeah. Yeah, just just addressing it, going from being a silent supporter, which people wrongly think they're an innocent bystander. No, 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 right? a mission. Yeah. If you're not saying anything. You didn't choose it. It chose you, but now you're involved. Mm. If you see it, hear it, uh, witness it happening, now you're presented a choice. Mm. You can do something or you can do nothing at all. And so, uh, you know, I think most people that see it, hear it and do nothing, like they, they feel that too, mm. but they did nothing. They stood by and watched. And or, especially if it escalates and something happens later, right? the kid kills himself, yeah. the kid dies, yeah. my, then my, they're left with PTSD because of that. Cause they didn't do anything. Yeah. My, I, I was suicidal at 13, mm. clinically di diagnosed with depression at, at 13 years old, but it, it started much uh, sooner or before that. And long before that. And my mom, not too many years ago, they have a photography studio and they would take kids photos at school or their Your mom did that. Yeah. Mm. And the, uh, the athletic events, the team photos, and she had to make a memorial plaque for a woman that she knew. Um, her son was told at school, just like I was, you should just kill yourself. And when she was sending that plaque out of her office, she put her hands around me, her arms around me was crying held her for a minute. And she said, that could have been you. And then I go, how old was he? And I was looking at his picture. He was nine years old <gasps> and he was already smart enough to know how to tie a belt and hang himself. Oh my God. And nine of, years old, nine years old. Yeah. Who? Oh. Uh, but it's, it's, a uh, honestly, it's another type of pandemic we have in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, in the U S ages 10 to 24 years old, the number two cause of death is suicide. 
In the UK, it's the number one cause of death between ages 10 to 24. Oh my but God. But now we think post-pandemic uh, that it's going to take number one for young people. Um, isolation, cyberbullying, bullying at school. Like when I was at school, you could escape it because you didn't have social media. Yeah. yeah. And you don't, you don't see anything. Yeah. Not even cell phones I, where you're texting each other. I cannot imagine being a teenage yeah. girl or a young boy. Being bullied at school, then online. going home and seeing it like almost like, uh, uh, I don't know what you'd say it, but memorialized of like what happened to you. Yeah. There's a young boy that we helped, uh, through fight for the forgotten named Raiden and Raiden, uh, was 12 years old. Uh, was a big, big kid, size 12 or 13 shoe already. It was like six foot tall, but he was, uh, born, um, with autism mm -hmm. and he, uh, was born deaf in the right ear mm. and he had childhood diabetes. So he gained so a hundred, yeah, he gained over a hundred pounds in 11 months because, uh, he, of his medications and things. So at school, they beat him up. Uh, at the school urinal mm -mm. at the urinal, mm -mm. I was trying to use the restroom and eight people filmed it. Uh, oh they posted on Snapchat, Instagram, all that different stuff. He was given a concussion the next day at the school bus stop. He was beat up and jumped again by three or four people and he wouldn't fight back. So we were able to surround him with a bunch of love. I was with him the next day. I took him to the doctor, got him diagnosed with his concussion. How'd you find, how'd you find out? So our executive this? director reached out to me. Because I lived in the same town as him in Oklahoma City at All the right. time. And he was 20 minutes from my door to his door. And uh, how amazing that you could actually put your hands on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that that was the case. And mm -hmm. it turned into a beautiful story. He's doing well. He's been doing jujitsu for two years. Uh, martial Did he arts. Did get to walk into school with you next to him? Uh, he changed schools. Okay, um, good. But he. We've got to go to a lot of places together. I took him to the fights. Uh, and first time I've ever seen in history of 15 years of fighting professionally, a kid not be able to go backstage after the fights, but before. And he, all the fighters knew who he was already. Oh, wow. I posted his story. It went viral. went out to like 20 something million people. And uh, he got letters from like 40 or 50 different nations. Um and they said that would it be he, okay if we post some pictures? Sure, absolutely. Raiden, that, it's uh, that would be the hashtag is stand with Raiden, and I posted that out after knowing him for about a month, actually more than a month. And I was taking him to HBOT, uh, hyperbaric oxygen uh, therapy. Oh wow, I've done and a lot of that in my yeah, past. Yeah, so it's I, really great for concussions. Really great for concussions. So we got him in two days after the concussion, oh, and we went huge. through 40, 40 treatments with him. And then we went to the fights. All the fighters were taking pictures with him. He got to be shown on TV before the main event. He got to start the main event fight, which not in the cage with the ref, but he got to be the guy with the headphones on, oh, the ref looking at him yes. and him telling the ref when it was okay to start the fight. Oh my God, I've got, uh, I'm just covered in goosebumps. Yeah, after that, we That's took him incredible. to OU, um, to Oklahoma University when they were playing for the national championship. We went to two games. He's backstage. I've heard uh, they're he, good at football, allegedly. They're, they're very good at football. I don't like to and, say that in Austin. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, got the game ball, was on the sidelines with me and uh, his dad. We went to L.A. Uh, some of my friends from CBS, uh, CBS SEAL team reached out to me, said, bring them. And he got to start scenes of the show. Oh the show's creator, uh, his little brother's named Brock. So there was a Brock in the show already as like a, a Navy SEAL. And they wrote in a character named Raiden to honor him in his fight. Wow. Uh, Jack Carr, a Navy SEAL, pinned his uh, actual Navy SEAL trident on him. He's an author of many books, too. Number one New York Times bestselling author. Took him to the L.A. Rams game. Took him to uh, D 
Disneyland and wow. Chewbacca walked us around. Oh he got to go surfing with world champion surfers. Well, this is, you just described uh, my perfect week. Then, yeah. And then, and <laughs> Throw then we, in some sushi there and we're good. Yeah. Well, uh, we, he didn't like sushi, but we did uh, well, take not, him to- Well, not many 10, 11, 12 year old yeah, kids do. Right. And we took him to Medieval Times and he loved that because he got knighted uh, wow. with, by the queen and all the knights <laughs> were taking him through squire training with me and his little brother, Brock. And so what was really cool about that- changing Absolutely life-changing. Yeah. You know, for my podcast launch, uh, he came into town with his family and he got to come to my sparring uh, session the day before and I got to bring him into the ring with me and put boxing gloves on him. Wow. Him and I went a full round together. Uh, <laughs> this is after he's had some training for After a he's bit. had some training. How's he doing? He's 14 years old. Uh, he's doing well. Did he grow his any brother. bigger? Oh yeah, he's, he's as big or bigger than me. So, and I'm i uh, I'm a heavyweight professional MMA fighter and <laughs> national champion wrestling. And yeah, by the way, eye to eye. if you're just listening to the podcast, not watching it, it's like I have a medieval warrior, Viking. Actually, yeah, Viking they called me the Viking in MMA for many years. Yeah. You know? So if you, that's just, just picture that. I'm just a normal chick sitting next to this Viking. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. So that's been part of our mission is like, how can we, no matter who feels forgotten here stateside, mm-hmm. whether they're in little Oklahoma or, um, all the way across the world for the pygmy people that I lived with. I took, we got to get went, to that in a second. Yeah. I, I went through about that on your bio. Well, I'll go ahead and get into it then because I went there 10 years ago to Africa, to Africa. I was struggling with addiction and my addiction started whenever I broke my arm wrestling an mm. Olympic bronze medalist and world champion. And it was just a freak accident. Just Olympic bronze medalist and world champion. Yeah, well, so <laughs> I, I lived at the Olympic training center, two-time national champion in wrestling for the United States. And we uh, fell off the mat in a funny position, going out of bounds, and my arm just snapped. Mm. So I was given Oxycontin. Painkillers. Yeah. During the time that they said uh, that Oxycontin was the only non-addictive opiate. Oh, so this was, what are we thinking? 2005. I was about to say 10, 15 years ago. So that was, yeah, I I was about to, this weekend, uh, last weekend it didn't happen, but I want to watch the movie. Uh, forget what it's dope, dope, dope sick, dope sick, dope sick. Yeah, I don't, a, a at movie the beginning or a series, of it, one of the yeah, two. Yeah, the beginning of it all, and how mm. the doctor came forward and said, "I was sold a false bill of goods. These yeah. people just abjectly lied." Mm-hmm. And they they were repeating those lies to me. So that's what you that's what you get. And as on an athlete, it, on it for four months, you're and, like, "Let me take yeah. this because this does hurt." Yep. And uh, the good thing about uh, oxycotton is there aren't, there aren't hangovers. And so, I mean, one, I needed it for the pain and the actual surgery that I had. I broke my elbow, dislocated the elbow, tore the ulnar collateral ligament. They had to take a tendon out of my hamstring. Yeah, that's and a lot of shit. Elbow. Yeah. It's not just a broken elbow, an arm. Yeah, that's it was, a messed up elbow. It was that's really messed up. I had a 30% chance to ever compete again. But something happened whenever I had that drug, I instantly became an addict. It mm. changed the chemistry of my brain. And I didn't know it had the power to do that. I thought it does. that maybe. We were I mean, people have a pre, pre-wired yeah, for it, they and definitely it just sort of have activates that. it. They definitely have that, but after having a drug in your system, mm. that and your body you can says, become, oh, yum. you can become addicted to, and lifelong addiction can start at, at nine days of treatment with that. And wow. the average prescription Two is like weeks. 14, 16 yeah. days. And then, uh, so it's almost designed for you to get hooked on it. And then I was on it for four months without anyone ever telling me anything. Because uh, you had it. probably surgeries and yep. then, yeah. Yep. And so then after that, they just kept them coming for years. I had like four or five years full of prescriptions for it. Well, and then, you know, after the first couple months, I'm sure you're like, this is good. Oh, yeah. And, and trying to stop, you go you, through withdrawal. Yeah. I mean, you, you stop at the nine day mark, you're going to go through withdrawal. 
And so once you get hooked, I think I've ever had it. Surely I would know if I've ever had it, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's, it's much stronger than like hydrocodone. I've had Vicodin. I've had, you know, I I got a really bad dog bite once from a foster dog. And uh, that's, I have to do a whole podcast on how many times I've been bitten, but that time sent me to the hospital twice. uh, And they gave me uh, morphine. Yeah. That shit was nasty. I, maybe I'm not an addictive person. I don't know, but it was horrible. And is it, is it strong? Is it like that strong? Stronger. No. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's basically heroin. I must sound really fucking ignorant right now because I thought it was like maybe a little bit more than Vicodin or Oxycontin. It's a lot more. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a lot stronger than they give that to, they give that to, or they did give that to kids though too. They gave it to like teenagers. But they, they, so there's oxy fives, 10, 20, 40, eighties. They were giving me eighties. That's the milligrams. So yeah, yeah. 80 milligrams. So, uh, and I would take three, four at a time of the eighties and it's, it's really, really strong. And did you join the class action lawsuit? I didn't. I didn't even think about it. Uh, but I. It I, might not I was, be too late. <laughs> okay, but I was. Too, I, I was in and out of treatment twice. But yeah. That's. I'm pretty sure they coughed up well, a lot of money. Uh, you know, I got out of uh, treatment uh, for substance use disorder uh, for the second time, December 23rd. So not too long ago. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago. And congratulations! Uh, thank by you. the way, thank you. It was the best thing I've ever done for myself personally. Wow. I feel real. Uh, hope and even victory already in it. And so I'm kind of celebrating that beforehand. I know I have to stay on guard, have to do all the right things. Yeah. I have a great support team here at Hot Pie Media uh, with Amy, with you, with so many people. Yeah, so you're just loved and by so many people. I, I am. I, I think that, I think something to point out when it comes to addiction is you can have all the support in the world and sometimes that's not enough. No. And so you have to take it as your own responsibility to do all the right things, but you also need to have a sober support network of you people. You surround that, yourself, yeah, yeah. I was surrounded by some of the best in the world when it comes to MMA, wrestling. I've been coached by four or five Olympic gold medalists and world champions and Hall of Famers. I think that I had so much shame. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Brene Brown earlier. So much shame wrapped around was addiction. Yeah. Um, or not any, just, any type of mental health issues. Right. They I say, mean, until very recently, not you don't talk about it. Yeah. They say the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, uh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And that can propel you into getting better, right? You can identify that I don't want this in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opposite of guilt is shame. And shame is, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. And so addiction oftentimes takes you into thinking that you are uh, a person of flawed morally, that you have these character defects that you just can't fix and that you make bad choices. And really there's a chemical imbalance in your brain and it's a, it's a disease. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I was uh, complaining about people who say WWW before a website address. Don't be that guy. But also, I just did it myself. I just went to the internet and typed in earlybirdcbd.com because that takes you there. Earlybirdcbd.com. Why would you go there, you say? Well, Early Bird makes full-spectrum gummies. They are not only delicious in taste, but yeah, they've got not just the CBD, they've got the THC in there as well. 
full spectrum. That's what it means. But it's really chill. Uh, let me just say, this might not be for you heavy stoners out there. This early bird product is for you to chill out, to have a fun time with your friends and not feel really lit. And it's almost like it was invented for me. Years ago, I, I confessed rather embarrassingly for a 40-something-year-old woman that I just don't know how to smoke weed, all right? It's never made me feel good. I'm not against it. I totally think it should be legal. It's ridiculous that it isn't, especially uh, medical marijuana. Let's get on that, Texas. But um, when I tried these early bird CBDs, and I went small, guys, I started a quarter, then a half, and I'm up to three quarters, and that's it. That's it for me. Just three quarters. Helps me sleep at night. Helps me relax if I don't want to drink because I'm working out the next day. Then I'll have an early bird CBD gummy with my friends. Go to earlybirdcbd.com slash Deb. That gets you a huge discount on your first order. 20% off your first order. They have tinctures as well, guys, as well as other products. So go to earlybirdcbd.com slash Deb. No www required. The disease is real. I totally believe it. I'm not one of those people that says, oh, you just could stop if you really wanted to. I think right. that's that's a that's a ton of bullshit and not supportive at all. But um, going back to the small part of your life that you shared yeah. with me about being bullied, that, yeah. I mean, I'm sure when you're in this state of shame and guilt, all of that comes back. Well, yeah. obviously, look, you know, back then I wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. They picked on me. They must have known. They realized, you know, and every, you know, ruined relationship or accidental bad relationship you're like well that that's why and it just all piles up yeah definitely i mean it goes from them bullying me to almost me bullying myself with the drugs right it's these self-defeating attitudes Mm -hmm. actions behaviors and it's almost like you're stuck on repeat you go through these cycles where there's these big ups there's these big downs and you just don't know how to escape it until you ask for help and i used to think that was a sign of uh weakness asking for help but now i see it as a sign of strength on and in the fighting world you have to surround if you're the best in the training room you're probably in the wrong room uh to continue to grow and to get better yeah so uh the same way in in this mental health thing is i've been seeking out help from dr daniel amen 12-time new york times best-selling author one of the most prolific psychiatrists of all times He's been helping me, but also like finding a sober, sober support network of people that have been through it, mm. that understand, they get it. Like that you get it. They're, 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 they're one of me. Yeah. They're one of me. And they're and like, I yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. So was it one of these people, um, when you, uh, you were sick before and you were, and you took yourself to Africa, was that just like own idea or you, you, there was someone that said, Hey, you need to just get away and just go well, see I, this thing or get out of town. Yeah, or what was in, it? Intuitively, I had wanted to start living a life of purpose to get outside of myself and, so I started working out at Denver, the Denver Children's Hospital, became an official volunteer there, uh, the city rescue mission there in Denver for the homeless in an at-risk youth group kind of in the inner city. Let me just and add that to your um, application for knighthood. Okay. And sainthood. <laughs> no, I just, is really long. Well, well I, I just, I just started somewhere and yeah. it was in my local community and, and then I you never thought it would the need, take the me. Holes, right. the, 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 the things where people are being let down by yeah. the system. People say you got to help in your own community. And I believe that, but I think that, uh, I try to do something weekly, locally, something nationally every month or two. I'm about to go speak in California, uh, next weekend sharing my story and uh, about the stateside stuff and the international works. But then every year I try to do something um, annually. I tried to do something internationally, mm. uh, but I got to live in Africa for two years Get and out. yeah, Where one year at one time uh-huh. I lived in Congo and also in Uganda. 
And so I lived with a hunter-gatherer tribe, the pygmy people. My idea of the world is that it's just one big neighborhood now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're under the same blue sky. And so we all are one. What, yeah. That there is only one race. Yeah. And so and this is the so human cheesy, race, but it's right? the human race. Yeah. No, I don't think that's cheesy yeah, at all. Where you strip our skin I off, we're all real. the same. Taller, yeah. shorter, fatter, skinnier. Yeah. And so beautiful the, Viking long yeah. hair, poor people hair yeah. with tinsel in it. We're all the same. Or the Mabuti FA uh, Batwa pygmy people. They are on average four foot seven. Uh, this hunter gatherer tribe. You must have that, been a goddamn uh, giant to them. <laughs> they call me Mabuti Mangbo. And that means the big pygmy. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. So, we need a sound bite of that. Yeah, Can you do that Mabuti Mangbo. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's Mabuti Mangbo. And you have to say it that way or it doesn't make sense. And uh, the other name is Efeosa. Efeosa means the man who loves us. Oh. And that's uh, the one I hold near and dear to my heart. But why we've shifted and not shifted, but but really been aiming towards this goal to build a hospital the last 10 years. It's been a dream that I haven't spoken out until this might be my first podcast speaking it out. Actually, I did it with Amy and I. And you whore, I want to be the first. <laughs> well, but on any other show besides my own, uh, this is the first time I'm announcing it and really excited because 10 years ago, I buried a young boy, one and a half years old. His From name the was, tribe. Yeah. His name was Andy Bo. And Andy Bo was, he died of waterborne disease. It was so one, super preventable. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Easy, probably cheap to fix yeah. over here. $1 for the pills that would have cured him. Get out. It was $3 for the one shot cure. But when I buried him, I asked his uh, slave master. So uh, hang on a second. Yeah. Most people don't know in the world today that there's more slaves on earth than ever in human history, ever in human history today, there's more. And so if you Google the fact, I think low estimates are 28 million, but a lot of estimates say 40 million people on earth are currently enslaved. Call someone else master. I feel like I've learned recently in the last five, 10 years or so about, um, some Western civilizations and indentured servitude and uh, um, tra- trafficking. Yeah. And um, I know that that's, that is not a small problem. It's a huge right. problem. Huge. And, you know, even in places like Dubai where they bring over different, you know, yeah. they're going to use their own people to to be their slaves and take their yeah. passport. And I, I think I thought that that was the worst. I mean, it's terrible. That was the worst that we were doing to each other, but this isn't bigger you're saying. Yeah, it's bigger. And my friend Tom helped me when I had malaria and I almost died uh, in Uganda. He was also him and I, but he really led the charge on it, um, helped get a girl back that he really knew and loved and and, and cared for. Uh, she had, had gone, been enslaved. Yeah, in, in uh, Saudi Arabia. And so she went over there and was promised like oh, this hey, big come job. This great job. I took her passport, took her phone. And she um, was from the tribe that you were with? Not the same tribe. This was uh, one of Tom's friends mm-hmm. that was there, but she was a Ugandan woman, incredible person. And it took thousands of dollars to get her out of slavery and back, back home safely. So you had to pay um, a ransom? Tom, yeah, Tom, Tom did. Yes. And uh, he was filling me in on the whole story and it was I feel like I'd get brutal. violent. Yeah. She was one of my friends too. I feel like I would have to go out there and kill somebody. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, you know, don't tell that. That was a joke. That was a real joke. <laughs> uh, there's people that do it. There's a great organization called Operation Underground Railroad. So I can sign up for and this group then? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're mostly special forces from around the world uh, that go in and break girls out of uh sex trafficking. But look, I could work with them. I could yeah. be a mole on the inside. Yeah. We could sell, not that I'm a bit too old to be wanted to, to do anything like that, but they could, you know, we could, yeah. we could work something out. I could yeah. get involved. Or you could help with the, the girls that come back and they're in the, nothing necessarily halfway houses, but the aftercare program yeah. that they have. Well, I imagine and, that the trauma they went through is, yeah, I mean, brutal. that's lifelong, but yeah. 
definitely. So you, hang on a second. You had like this whole, I didn't, I didn't know anything about this. I thought we were going to be talking about MMA, your foundation. Yeah. I didn't know that you'd had this complete other life that was sort of kicked off by addiction and recovery. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, but it was, I, I never knew anything about the real world of recovery until May uh, 15th of 2020. Uh, me starting the nonprofit helped keep me sober for four or five years. Uh, I think five. And it was just helping people as I helped others getting outside of myself, mm -hmm. add more purpose. But along that journey, there was a lot of PTSD like moments where there's being held at gunpoint by, um, different groups or, uh, you know, taking women to the hospital Seeing after they were tied, things. tied to a tree, gang raped, you know, probably at least, at least three, I think four women that we took to the hospital that way. Um, wow. and with Andy Bo specifically, it was really hard to reconcile that, um, I was giving my dog clean water, uh, that people were walking six miles one way to go hopefully get clean water, but mm. it wasn't, mm. wasn't really clean, looks clean, but isn't clean because the way it was, uh, drilled, contaminated, contaminated. Yeah. And, um, Andy Bo was not just denied his slave master saying that it was cheaper to bury him than to keep him alive, but it was $30 for the casket I buried him in. It was six to $8 for the shovel I used. And, uh, for the hospital there, they denied him hospital treatment twice. His mom tried to take him to the hospital. They said, nurse said at the first time she went, you're too dirty to come in here. And the second time the doctor told the real reason, which was we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. And so wow. that wrecked me. That changed me. I was still a professional fighter. Still am now, but I, I decided to take a significant period of time off. I thought it was going to be a year turned into another year where I went back and lived there for a year. I thought I was going to get right back into it. I took another year off, um, ended up taking five years off from professional fighting, mm. uh, to start the charity. We ended up being able to purchase back in the name of the tribe, which had no land ownership in their country's history. We were able to help get them back over 3000 acres of land. Wow. Um, we've helped them drill for themselves, 80 water wells now. Is it, I, you know, um, you want to say something like that's life changing, but that, that phrase doesn't do what you've done justice. You've man these people have managed to reclaim a life for a whole people. Yeah. Well, why, why I was brought in to speak at Warwick in the UK was, uh, thanks not for not saying Warwick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, we've seen 1,651 people transition out of slavery and into freedom. And so that's been probably what I'm most proud of, but really it's them taking it as ownership for themselves. Yeah. They drill the wells. We teach them how to, but they, we equip them with the tools, we educate them with the knowledge, and then they're empowered to do what they want to do for themselves. They're empowered to be the change in their own country, their own community, and in this world. Well, thank the man Jesus Christo for saying, teach a man to fish. Mm. Wait, was it Jesus that said that? Uh, I don't think so. Um, but I, I'd like see, to think Jesus said that. Yeah, maybe. Jesus had he, some he, good he, lessons. Now religion uh, has just messed it all up, but Jesus, right. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was great. <laughs> I, I, I love the the person of Jesus, yeah. what he stood for, yep. his teachings. And the way of basically, yeah, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Our whole thing is opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is normally always better because of the way that we've dumbed down charity into handouts. Mm. Um, what we want to do is give hand ups. Yeah. And so I think essentially if people, um, you know, the handout seems nice. Um, 
in the it's in the moment, right? right. And um, to think of the future and what more you could have if if you just learned, yeah, or if you just taught. There's a really great book called When Helping Hurts, and what people don't know mm. is there's a lot of toxic charity out there, which doesn't mean they're ill willed or have bad intent, but it means they have a lot of money or or the follow through isn't what it should be. There's over 230,000 broken water wells in Africa right now. That is billions of wasted charitable dollars. And the reason they're broken is because no one in the community was empowered. Oh, they didn't teach anybody how, how to, to do it, do the maintenance, how to do it, how to do the maintenance. So they didn't it, have anyone that the, the, it's like giving a poor African tribe, a television, I hear have this 68 square inch QLED. Yeah. And when that goes out, uh, well, no, you have nowhere to plug it in. Yeah. You have nowhere to plug it in. Yeah. Right. Ha- enjoy it though. Yeah. It looks pretty. You're right. Yeah. So they need to know how to operate it. They need to know how to drill it for themselves. They need to know how to maintain it. Yeah. They need to have uh, what we do is they have a little uh, treasury or secretary that, that, that also has a fund. The community has a fund that when it breaks, um, which ours don't break hardly ever, but when, when it does, that they'll have it to be able to at least mm-hmm. call our well drillers that are empowered, that have their own company, their own business, social entre- enterprise, how they can call them and say, Hey, we need to have a maintenance and we've put aside a hundred dollars to fix the pump. That's and so huge. they can come out there and do it. And uh, it's really empowering for them to have ownership of it. And they take pride in it. First well I drilled, I gave it away. I drilled the well and said, this is y'all's. We did it for you um, because you needed it. And it was all good intent, but uh, there was actually a high school and middle school like feud. And the high schoolers used to not let the middle schoolers drink from their well. So whenever they came over mm. to the well at the middle school or actually the community for a college, uh, the high schoolers were drinking from it. One of the middle schoolers like just kind of said, hey, that's our well. That's our parents' well and that's our well. You don't let us drink from your well. So what the high schoolers do, they broke it. Ugh. They broke the well. And then, and then what did the community do? Because they were trained or conditioned by other charities. They came to me and said, hey, our well broke. Will you fix it? When I went and looked at it, I was like, whoa, this was broken out of like malice. Yeah, Yeah, vandalized. What happened here? Oh, well, someone broke it, but we know you can fix it. I can fix it, but I won't fix it. And they said, why not? And I go, because I just learned a good lesson. I did it for you. And there was no community buy-in. The problem between the two, you don't need to be having a fight. You need to fix it. Yeah. So whenever we asked them to come up with about a hundred dollars to fix the pump that was broken, uh, right after that, they literally built a fence around it and then they had a checklist and they had community volunteers and they would open it five times a day for like an hour, two hours a day. So plenty of time to get, get your water for the day. And, uh, and they cleaned it. They had a cleaning, uh, regimen and they took pride that no, in it. That no turned into a huge yes because yeah. it empowered them to do it themselves. Yeah. And it, that's, that's just amazing and fantastic. And I think, Oftentimes when you're giving to charity or you, uh, you know, you're not quite sure how to give correctly. You got to remember that these are human beings and we're, we all have pride as yeah. well. And to, to hand something to somebody doesn't necessarily feel good sometimes. They to want be, to be part of their own solution. Exactly. Uh, I mean, essentially we all do, right? We right. all want to have a say in our lives. It's, it's, you know, to be human is to be able to control what we do, where we go, what we say, how we think. Right. It's very hard on us in any way to be imprisoned. Mm. Um, when I went there with the first goal of doing, it was actually a scouting trip. It was like, what do we, what do we do? And so 
uh, I went and lived for a month and I said, I want to live with them, listen to them, learn from them. So that way they show us and teach us how yeah. we can love them in the most sustainable way possible. Rather than coming and saying, oh, look at yeah. this dump. Let's yeah. clean this Here, up. You here's need the this. cookie cutter blueprint solution for yeah. your problem that I know nothing about. <laughs> and uh, well, we're very wise. us Westerners, Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I have clean water, so I, and they don't. So yeah. maybe I think I know how to give it to them better than they know how to mm-hmm. do for themselves. But whenever you really, um, I don't know, uh, give them an opportunity to have part of their own dignity, you know, yeah. because it's been taken from them if they can't do especially that for themselves. for the enslaved people, for right. especially the people that didn't have their own yeah. land to, to give anybody something that's mm. their own. Yeah. is huge. Last year was one of the most challenging years in my personal life, but professional life with fight for the Me forgotten. Too. Yeah. No professional oh, and personal. It fucking yeah. sucked. <laughs> For for the organization, that's not my profession, but for the organization, the nonprofit, it was one of the best years. Oh, ever. I love to hear that. And the ups and the downs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were able to help build thirty two homes for families that had never had a home uh, ever besides the rainforest. Wow! And they were kicked out of the rainforest, so then they were put in a. But this is a their slum. traditional. Yeah, where they're supposed to be for yeah, these they're the, people. They're the people of the forest. They're the protectors of the forest, and for the wildlife authority to kick them out. They were saying they were protecting the forest, protecting the animals. By kicking them out. By kicking them out. But, but they were the, the protectors. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, their job. Right. And so. They're not going to overhunt. They're not going to yeah. overfish. Yeah, they only take what they need. They're not going to chop the fucking trees yeah. down like we do. They're not going to kill the endangered species. No, if that's their environment, yeah. Yeah. they're going to take it, take care of it because right. they need it to yeah. live. Need it to live. Right. And Why so. Is it white people, you just got to get out. Yeah. Stop minding everyone yeah. else's business. <laughs> so we were able to get them back some land and we've replanted uh, 4,000 trees and we're about to replant 7,000 trees wow. to help the rainforest come back on their own land. Wow. Uh, that they, but they can also have crops on the land that they have. Uh, built the 32 homes, drilled more wells, um, and they're having tapped water to their homes instead of just having to go to a well and pump it themselves. That, that must feel like some voodoo uh, magic. It's, it's, it's mind blowing to, to see them dance, celebrate, and then also to ask questions. You're telling me this was below our feet the, the whole, whole time. time. It was that easy. And it's like, yeah, we you just had two pairs of gloves on this whole time. <laughs> Sorry, dumb and dumb joke. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, that. Yeah, that must just be mind blowing. Yeah, it's it's incredible. We we really uh, get a sense of joy working with the community, mm. not pushing them out of the way, saying sit on the sidelines, but saying, hey, we've learned how to do this. Do you want to learn? Mm. And they're like, yes, teach that's us. Huge. And it's like, okay, we'll teach you, and that's a, that's be part great, of the solution. Yeah. Also, teach them how to. The, the land that they're able to now farm, we teach them better farming practices from ag- agriculturalists in the region. Mm-hmm. We hire them, come in and train them, plant the seeds a little further apart or teach them how to farm for the first time oftentimes. But when they do know and they've been enslaved and they have farmed, it's there's no rhyme or reason to their method. It's like, uh, you know, their corn stalks, you're planting the seeds too close together. The, the cob of corn only has like about 25% to half of actual kernels on this cob wow. because it's choked itself out or the rains come yeah. and it's washed all the way. Mm. It's like plant them a little further apart from each other, plant it a little deeper. This is the right uh, depth. And to see their crops and their yield start to outproduce who they used to be formerly enslaved, enslaved to, by. but wow. also being hand in hand with those former slave masters and teaching them how to farm better too. So it's how... Yeah, this is a thing. There are other tribes, I imagine, that say, right. right, we need help. You're smaller than us or we can overpower you. You're ours now. Um, 
that that's still going on, I imagine. And it then- is. And, <laughs> and we've, we've had to pass up more, probably more communities than we've helped. Oh, I'm sh- I mean, like, but the ones, can't do that, everything. the ones that we are allowed to help and are invited, we, we, we make sure there's a very warm invitation for us to come work with them. And then we explain it to both sides um, or all sides. The, the, uh, and we're the very slave patient. people. Yeah. The slavers. Yeah. The slave masters. We, wow. we come in and we say, this is what we want to do. Will this work? Will this work for you? And one of the blue chip bargaining tools is with clean water. Uh, um, yeah. Their wives uh, aren't able to go to work because they have to collect water all day or they have to designate a child that can't go to school because they have to collect water all day. The husband isn't able to stay at work normally because uh, he has to take sick days because he is sick to waterborne disease. Mama too, children mm. can't go to school and People learn. Dying. Literally they've had children. I've attended at least five funerals of the slave master's children. So to be able to come in and say, Hey, this is an issue that you're all facing. Yeah. Everybody's suffering. But if we buy back land from you and you benefit financially, if you, uh, at least some of the landowners, if we bring in clean water, that's going to help keep everyone safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Everyone's think about this. Uh, yeah. The medical care, they're spending about a dollar. They make about a dollar to a dollar 25 per day, even the slave master tribe. And, uh, they're spending about half of their annual income on household medicine to fight waterborne disease oh, or malaria. That's just ridiculous. But to be able to say, hey, you're going to be able to keep half your income. Because, because the water's clean. Yeah, you have clean water. That's amazing. You can go to school. You, you, can, you, you can have a two-income yeah. two family. You, all your kids can be educated. Um, I'm sure there were some light bulb moments oh, that yeah. they were just like, wow. Yeah. To where, to, Again, where they, teaching people. to where they start spreading the word, not just the pygmy people, but yeah. also the, we call them the makapala, which is basically the, the non-pygmy people because we don't want to demonize or villainize one tribe whenever there's a lot of tribes that a are doing message. it. Strong message. We say, uh, we want to work hand in hand with the community. We're all one. Mm-hmm. I'm no different than you. Gente, yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. I so love it's, it. It's been, it's been really great. Right now, the hospital, it's actually been a community hub. We've seen the pygmies start going to school because they can, one, sell their produce. They can eat it and they can also sell it at the markets. Yeah. They can make money for the first time. Lovely. Then they're able to buy school uniforms. They're able to pay school fees. Now strong enough uh, yeah, to go to school? Strong enough to go Not to school. Not having to work? Right. And now we're building a school alongside the hospital. So it's going to be a community hub mm. where there's water towers going into both the, uh, the school, the hospital. Uh, there's going to be a technology center. To where um, some of our university partners, uh, we're, we're finalizing those now, but we have some Ivy League schools. We have some major state universities and medical schools that are going to be Skyping in and teaching. Wow, um, that's huge. The, Newer techniques, right. cheaper t- techniques that could be cheaper for yeah. them as well. And as- also just uh, midwives. We're going to have a maternity ward, an emergency room, a pediatrics unit, hopefully a dental suite. Mm. They're going to be teaching them best practices and better procedures and uh, but even in birthing, like Uganda has, I think the second, uh, worst, um, statistic in the world for death during childbirth, whether oh it's God. the, whether it's the child yeah. or the mother, Mom. but you can, a lot of times it's just infant mortality rate is like the baby's not breathing for the first minute. 
and needs a little help. Yeah, it needs a little help yeah, to breathe. Yeah, needs someone in there who knows what they're doing. Right, and so we're going to be teaching those things, how which we're really excited about. All right, how do people get involved? Because obviously, uh, fightfortheforgotten.org yes. yep. is where people can get involved, and for five bucks, you can uh, do it a small donation to right. help so much. Right. What about this hospital, this this uh, the teaching college, yeah. the, uh, the school? Well, I do want to say thank you to our help. partners really quick. Yeah, we, do we that. have a partner in uh, both Project Cure. Uh, Engineers Without Borders and yep. Conscious Coalition. And uh, hopefully we'll announce soon a partnership with randomax.org as well. One of my guests was Jared Padalecki, one of his good friends, Misha Collins. Uh, these are actors that are, have their own nonprofit. Misha Collins is the founder. Oh, that's and great. Uh, we're presenting to them about helping fund the building because we have a $1.5 million donation from Project Cure, which is going thank to- you, Project yes, Thank you, Project and Cure. Thank you, Project Cure. And to Micah and Jared. Yeah, you yeah. haven't given yet, but- Yeah, Misha and Jared and- Misha, sorry, Misha and yeah. Jared, you're the best. We yeah. need your money. Well, well, <laughs> Jared, Jared's <laughs> awesome. He's He has supported us in the past uh, three or four times already. And we're presenting it to their board and it looks like it's going to go through. Oh, that's uh, but they're going to help us build the structure because we do need the building to put all the medical equipment for yeah. Project Cure. Project Cure is the number one nonprofit in the world for medical supplies. Mm. And we're going to have hospital beds and birthing beds and incubators for preemies and all sorts wow. of, of good, good stuff. And Engineers Without Borders is designing the structure. They have 17,000 engineers around the world. We're working hand in hand with Bernard, the founder. Um, and he helped us design the 32 homes that we've built. Now he's helping us build the hospital, the school, or at least design mm -hmm. it. And so we have the designs. We have the actual medical equipment. Now we are trying to build that hospital. And it's going to take probably around $800,000 to build the hospital, the school. Boy, um, it's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot, but it's going to help thousands and thousands of people on medical care for the first time. So you're working diligently, clearly with your group, um, getting all these big donors involved and, from, from, you know, going to foundations and asking for right. money. But what about the little people? Can we yeah. help? How, yeah, absolutely. how do we help? I mean, there's, uh, we're, we're trying to see if medical professionals could come and actually help. Um, but the thing that we've always done is making sure we're not doing volunteerism which basically is uh, like, oh, yeah. you know, paying two grand for a plane ticket and then going and painting a building. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, We'd rather have hole. your $2,000 yeah. and we'll scribble the name at the bottom. Right. Or, or uh, a thank you in a way of being on the fight club. That's $5 a month or more. And that way right there is. Voluntourism. Making, yeah. <laughs> it's perfectly douchey for what it is. Right. And, and it's, it's again, good hearted. Um, right. People want to do well the right meaning. thing. Well-meaning. But, uh, you know, you want to make sure you're not taking a job away from somebody else. So yeah. right now it's the funding and, and we're trying to build an army of those people that are giving $5 a month, $20 a month, $50 a month, whatever they can give. So that way we can have a game plan and say, this yeah. is how we scale. This is how we grow. This is going to be our first proof of concept. We have the best partners in the world to make this happen, um, to see it through. And we got the local support. We've met with the prime minister. The president might come out and see the project. And uh, I might take Manny Pacquiao, a world champion boxer that's also running okay. for president of yeah. the Philippines. Yeah. Dustin Poirier might come out with us, a guy who's fought for the world championship in the UFC. Yes. Good friend of ours. You need, yes, I agree. Yeah. Get all the eyes on it. Get all the eyes get on all it. all the attention to get on the it. Attention. And then what we're going to do is go to all eight or nine African nations where the pygmy people are. We're going to do this multiple times over in each and every nation where they're represented because I've been adopted in by the tribe. They're That's my family. Now. Yeah. And so uh, they're all across the Congo Basin rainforest. 
but they're in uh, where we are right now is Uganda and in Congo, but we're wanting to get to Rwanda, Central African Republic, Cameroon, Gabon or Gabon, and uh, a couple of others. There's two Congos. There's the Republic of Congo and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so we just want to show them that we want to show the world that this is possible with who anthropologists call the most oppressed people group on earth. Wow. Um, the pygmy people. Which because that, of their size. Right. And that's another word to say uh, the most bullied people on Stop earth. Stop picking on the little guys. Right. And this, so if th- we can. It's perfect that you adopted them for your foundation. They adopted you, you They for adopted the me first. And yeah. so then now this is the mission for them. They, they, they were the ones that are called the forest people. But they, when I met them, they said, uh, everyone else calls us the forest people. But we call ourselves call the forgotten people. Oh, and so I was so like, sad. well, let's, let's fight for the forgotten. And also let's start to erase that name uh, because they really have pride on being the pygmy people. Mm. And if we can do this, what we want to do is open source what we did in this community hub. Um, the, the, the drill uh, drilling the wells deep. That's kind of like their checking account. We want to have our, their savings account. And then we want to do rainwater collection, which is kind of like their checking account mm. that's there. We want to have uh, irrigation systems for their farms. We want to have the farms up and going, the medical care, the schooling system, and the technology center. Let's give them everything they can to succeed and then let them succeed. And watch them flourish. And hands off and say, all right, let's go and do this somewhere else. Yeah. And I love how you put that as well earlier. Um, you know, five bucks, that's your cup of coffee. Literally, I do not buy coffee from the chains because- I never have. I, I, you know, I've gone from being quite well off to very, very poor, but I grew up very, very poor. And so I've always, I think, been responsible with money and, and can't see paying $6 for a coffee because I just buy a creamer. Again, look, you buy the thing of creamer that's that big. It's three fifty. You extrapolate how much it costs for one serving and then you've got your cup of coffee. It's very much cheaper to have it at home and you're not wasting a cup. So think about that. Think about your five, six dollar cup of coffee and just forego one of them this month and uh, donate to Fight for the Forgotten. And they can just do recurring payments, right? So they don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. I love that. And and you're part of it. You're part of us seeing this mission through. Yeah. You know, one time donations are great. We really, really appreciate them. But we want people to be on the fight team. Mm -hmm. We want them to be in this fight with us for the long haul. And And it's tax deductible, guys. It is. Makes, you know, makes your accountant think you're a nice person. It's a good thing to do and yeah. it's, you've made it super easy. Thank and you. so the website again is fightfortheforgotten.org and talking of fighting, cause we haven't, we don't have much time left, but yeah. you got any fights coming up soon? Can so, I see you? Yeah, you I'm gonna actually, be, uh, I'm going to be crushing. calling my uh, promoter after this podcast. I'm calling him on the way home and uh, we're talking about my return in 2022. Uh, I think they would like to see it in the first quarter, second Wait, quarter. Wait, we're in 2022, aren't we? Yeah. So sometime this I keep year. writing 2020. Yeah. How is that? 2020 or 2021? No, 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 no. I keep writing 2020. <laughs> I think it's because it's 21. you have a new vision. I think new vision, 2020 was just like so shitty. Yeah. <laughs> I just really want to forget. 2020 yeah. wasn't great either, but it was diamond compared to 21. Yeah. But um, yeah, 2022. So 2022, this year, so this year, year. hopefully the first half. My goal is I, I, I'm got to talk to him because I'm wanting to get back to Uganda soon with the founder of mm. Project Cure or at least the CEO of Pro- Project Cure who helped inspire me to start Fight for the Forgotten 10 years ago. I've been waiting to ask them to help <laughs> me for 10 years. And That's whenever patience. I asked, how yeah. have you done that? Well, I think we needed to be um, oh, up and run, more up running and established. Yeah, well, I think I think community development. We started with the lowest hanging fruit first, which was clean water, farms, yeah. land. Yeah. Now, now housing. And then now it's like, okay, 
we've got this. Let's let's get into the next best thing, which is obviously medical care. Keep them keep them healthy once we got them up and going. Yeah. And yeah, so the fun thing will be going back to Uganda, seeing how we scale this to the hospital, the school, the technology center, where we're also going to be teaching women's empowerment, uh, uh, conflict resolution between tribes Wonderful. Um, with Conscious Coalition, some of our partners who are so incredible. Brett is uh, the founder. He's here in Austin. But Michael Bezdek, anyways, he's in Dallas. He's uh, their executive director, best friends with my executive director, or at least they're talking on the phone almost every day. And I have to say, I'm a big fan of connectivity when it comes yeah. to situations like this and putting people in front of other people and making great yeah. things happen. And, and that's kind of along the line what's happened for you. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is coming from fighting, it's a pretty competitive sport, right? Uh, I did not think... I mean, cause you're getting in there, you're fighting another human being. Mm. You're, you're putting your fist on them and taking them down and yeah. choking them out. Hurting them. I didn't think that I knew that was true about the business world. I mean, the fight game is a business. And so I knew it was ultra competitive. I didn't know the nonprofit world would be similar. Mm. And mm, uh, strange. yeah, it's strange where so many people are so protective about their partners Wow, who could also help no, you I'm or you could help like them. Share this great and also the, also the donors as well, mm. which I, I understand it's hard to raise money it's probably harder to raise money than it is to sell a product and be in a for-profit business uh, because so. you're asking people to use their hard-earned dollars to help you with your mission. Yeah. And if they don't believe in it, you're not going to get anything. So what's been really neat is bringing some of the best nonprofits in the world together and they're great at partnerships. And you start to identify this nonprofit actually doesn't like working with people. And uh, this one <laughs> is incredible and they're all for it. And then, so over the years, it's been like 10 years of assembling this group. That's like, now we're all together. Now it's time to move and we can make an impact for the people who probably need it more than anybody else in the world. Wow. Now, when I fight, I get to uh, fight and win and grab that microphone. It's, it's, I've always said there's, there's two kind of fighters and when that cage door locks, you actually hear it lock and you're locked in there with another human being that's coming to take you, Do you out. you hear it? Oh yeah. You hear the cage door lock. Yeah, no, and I, used to, I, I used to watch MMA uh, quite religiously for mm. several years and I've, I've been out of it for a little bit, but sure. um, watching it on TV or yeah. even watching Ultimate Fighter, you don't see that. You don't, you hear, don't it. hear it. You might hear it on Ultimate Fighter if you're really Maybe tuned so. in on it because yeah, it's kind of a smaller audience. You know it's coming, but. But the fighters at the early stage, you always ask what happened and people's anxiety either shoots through the roof or you just get excited get and, and get in the zone. You're ready. And so my, my thing's always been kind of like, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Oh yeah. Watch and, out. uh, you but, got the animal in here. Yeah. But nothing has ever made me want to fight harder or longer or have a deeper purpose than fighting for people. And so now I get to grab the microphone, tell everyone why I'm fighting and who I'm fighting for. Oh, and you only get to grab the microphone if you win. Right. So. Right. And I get to donate win. my win bonus. So I, I'm, oh, I'm nice. excited about that. Dude, so it's, you've got so much cool stuff going on. I didn't even get to scratch the surface. So I'm going to have to say, can I just ask you on. to come back another day? Absolutely. That would be wonderful. Maybe we'll promote the fight. Hell yeah. yeah. That'd be amazing. Um, I, I have so many other questions, but I know I'll see you personally hanging out yeah, soon. So absolutely. we can we come can back over to the house, hang out with Amy and I. That was so we nice. loved it. That was such a fun we night. But, um, to, you know, professionally, thank you so much for this foundation. That's amazing. And I love your podcast. I'm thank very, you. I'm weirdly, well, maybe not weirdly. I don't know. Being in radio and being in the audio world for so long, I'm very 
very picky about the podcast that I listen to. And I really do listen to your podcast yeah. and would recommend it to so many other people uh, interested in Justin's life, not in just uh, MMA. Um, but uh, if you're interested, maybe you're in the middle of starting up a foundation. I feel like you could learn a lot. If you're struggling with addiction or mm. you're in recovery, there's, Justin is a great resource for that too. So I would definitely um, send you over to Overcome with Justin Wren. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming on my show today. You're yeah. the best. Thanks. Love you. Love you too. Yay. Yay. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.